Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 170, October of 2023. And this month, our guest is Michael Bergen. Michael is a playwright, novelist, and professional writer with over 250 published books. Yes, we will explain that incredibly impressive number. But right now, we're going to present his short play, Nothing to Declare, as our selection for Creepy October 2023. Nothing to Declare by Michael Bergen. Dana Hall plays Cecily. Guy Stevens plays Jack. And Carrie Freighter plays Oscar Wilde. The setting, a room in the Waverly Inn, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Time is the present. The lights rise on Jack, lying on a settee, flipping through the unseen TV with a remote. What do you want to watch? Sess, did you hear me? Do you want to watch something? How can you think of watching TV? Don't you want to just soak in the ambiance? Ambiance. I pay 200 bucks a night for a hotel that feels something like out of a gothic novel. That's part of the ambiance, silly. And I had to come to Halifax to do it. Halifax. Summer vacation in Canada, you said. Sure, I said. Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, all great cities. But Halifax? In any of those cities, can we sleep in a room where he slept? It's not like we're talking about Jesus, right? No, just one of the greatest writers ever in the English language. A genius. Says you and your whacked-out father, bless his soul. <sighs> Dad probably was a bit obsessed. Uh, yeah. Who names their daughter Cecily these days? At least I'm a girl. Your poor brother, Algernon. So, no TV? No TV. Just let me truly appreciate where we are. The room where Oscar Wilde slept on October 8th, 1882, and several nights thereafter. It's not like it's the only place he ever slept. Did you look to see if they're renting out his old cell at the Reading Jail? Stop. You agreed to this, remember? We're here, so enjoy it, if that's possible. I think some writers would be thrilled to have this opportunity. Yeah, some. But not you. I don't know, hon. He just never did it for me like he does for you or your father. That's it. Consider this a tribute to dad. He's always wanted to come, but never made it. All right. To your father. Hmm. What's wrong with this picture? I don't see anything. Exactly. No glass, which means no booze. I could use a drink after that ferry ride. Would some wine suit you, Cicely? That would be perfect, Jack Darling. Do hurry. Got something in mind? Mmm. <laughs> Thinking about great literary figures turns me on. Go, then come back, quickly. Cecily wanders around the room, smiling. With her back turned, Oscar enters the room in a ghostly fashion. He waits for her to turn. She doesn't. <clears throat> oh my god. Or a reasonable facsimile, I like to think. Who are you? How did you get in here? Immaterial. 
just as I am. Most often, though, from experience, I have learned that I take on a corporeal dimension when I return. Who? Who? Who are you? I have a question for you. Where are you? Canada? Yeah, a bit more specific, perhaps. Uh, Halifax? Barrington Street? Waverly Inn? Yes. Yes. Excellent. In the room where Ask. Oh, my God. I think we addressed that already. This is imp... I'm going crazy. Or maybe the hotel put you up to this. You're an actor. The world is a stage, but the play is badly cast. I wrote that, you know. So I am an actor only in that larger sense. Uh, Or was, actually. Jack! Jack! Where the hell is he? He's not much of a fan, is he? Not like you. He likes Ernest. Who doesn't? You love him? I do. One should always be in love. That is the reason one should never marry. A woman of no importance. One should never marry whether she is important or not. I meant the play. Of course. Very impressive. And charming. Though, as I'm sure you know, charming women... Are usually punished for it. An ideal husband. I wasn't. But no matter, I have more pressing concerns. A favour. Favour? You are intrigued. Excellent. Most of the people I visit here, no matter how much they profess to admire my work, find my unexpected presence unsettling. You visit everyone who stays in this room? I do, but only some can actually see me, who have the proper reverence. And you, my dear, are one of the few to engage me in such depth. Why do you come back here, to Halifax? Oh, it's not just here. I visit many of my old haunts, as it were. As I said, I need someone to do me a favor. Jack re-enters, holding a bag. Hey, honey. I'll get you a nice Italian red and me some scotch. But man, the tax is here. Jack. Hmm? Our guest. There's somebody here? You know somebody in Halifax? He can't see you. I'm afraid not. Uh, Sess, who are you talking to? Jack, this is going to sound ridiculous. Insane, even. Okay. But there is someone else in this room. Right now. Who I can't see. Right. And who talks to you, and you talk back. Right. Let me guess. George Bernard Shaw. Oh, really? He never forgave me for Ernest, the poor soul. Or maybe Ibsen? Actually, a much cheerier fellow on the other side than you might imagine. No, wait. We're in Halifax. The Waverly Inn, and you're sort of preoccupied with someone right now. So it has to be Oscar Wilde. You have somehow conjured up or channeled or whatever the spirit of Oscar Wilde. More than a spirit. I touched him. Of course you did. I had nothing to do with it. He's just here, and he wants a favor. Right. Holy crap. 
I knew this trip was a bad idea. Not exactly made of strong stuff, your Jack. Or much of an imagination for a writer. Not particularly adept, is he? Jack does fine with his writing. Well, thank you. Or is trying to. It doesn't come easy for him, like with you. Hey. Well, pity for him. And you. And the money could be better. Look, hon, I know... Genius is born, not paid. In your Jack's case, it seems there's a deficit of both talent and finances, hmm? That's a, a little harsh. What's a little harsh? What's he going on about? But I suppose you'll marry him because you're so fascinated with writers, the creative mind. Maybe. Maybe what? So what does Oscar Wilde want from you? He was just about to tell me. Mr. Wilde. Just before I died, amidst the misery of those last few years, I conceived an idea for what would have been my most brilliant work, only... Yes? What? I never wrote any of it down. It only exists here. No matter how many times I try, I cannot pick up a pen or strike the keys of a typewriter. My ability to transcend the confines of my world and enter yours is limited. That's awful. Oh, I would love to read that play. The world would. Cicely, I applaud your enthusiasm. I knew I had made a good choice. Choice? I want you to write the play for me. Me? What? You. I could simply dictate it to you. But that would require your staying here until it's done. For some reason, I don't seem to hold together well when I inhabit spaces I didn't frequent in life. But there is another way. I can enter your body. Temporarily, of course. Oh my god. Jack, Mr. Wilde has an idea for one more great play. But he can't physically write it, and he can't dictate it to me here. So he wants to enter my body. Hey! Not like that. He's not familiar with Bosie, I see. No. He'll just enter my body spiritually, I guess, and use me as the instrument to write the play. Jack, this is incredible. I'll say. I can believe anything, provided that it is quite incredible. And even if you think any of this is remotely possible, which I don't, wouldn't it seem a little odd when you start submitting this fantastic play, given that you've never done any creative writing before? Apparently, neither have you. That's not nice. And he may have a point. Thank you. But for someone who's already published short stories and articles, it might be a little more believable for him to write it. Him? Me? Jack, I can't do it. But you can. Think of what it would mean, giving the world a new Oscar Wilde play, a literary treasure. And what's in it for you? What do you mean? I just wanted to help Mr. Wilde and you. And when he's done with his mind melt or taken over my ethereal energy or whatever the hell it is he has to do, won't that be a thrill for you? Kissing Oscar Wilde. Touching Oscar Wilde. Screwing Oscar Wilde. I can't say that image has the same appeal for me. You think 
You think this is about me and my respect? Spanish. My respect for a great writer? And that I would suggest this just so that I could think I was... No. <laughs> the thought never crossed my mind. I have complete, sincere motives. A little sincerity is a dangerous thing. And a great deal of it is absolutely fatal. Shut up! No, Jack, this is about literature. And you. Us. Us. You think I like being with a struggling writer? You've had some pretty good stuff, but, you know... You'll never be Dickens. You'll never be Dickens. You want me to be Dickens? I want you to be somebody great, and this is your chance. This is a win-win-win for all of us. You are just a little bit excited about the thought of being with me, through him, aren't you? Well, I'm no Dickens, or Wilde, and I accept that, even if it disappoints you. Jack, it's not that, exactly. So, doing this could bring me fame and fortune satisfy his creative genius, even if it's not really me writing it. Yes! Jesus. Okay, Wild. If I do this, you're just going to use me to write this play, right? No funny stuff? No hanging around after? Assure him. I plan on spending as little time as possible inside. It's not my time. Yes, yes, he agrees. Oh, Jack... I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and you, you are so complex sometimes. Oh, not at all. I am really rather... He met me. Ah, well, women are meant to be loved, not understood. Would you tell him to leave? We can do this transfer later. I'd like some time alone with you first. Of course. Until tomorrow. And thank you. Oscar Wilde exits. Thank you. You don't know. Stop. Gone? Yes. Drink? Yes. Vacation. At least until tomorrow. Yes. Turn off the lights? Yes. Make love? Oh, yes. Yeah. Earnestly. <laughs> Did you hear something? Not a thing. That was Nothing to Declare by Michael Bergen, featuring the acting talents of Dana Hall, Guy Stevens, and Carrie Freeder. Michael was kind enough to stop by and talk with us for a little bit. And the first thing we got to was, hey, so where did this play come from? Well, at one point, I went to uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia and stayed in the hotel where he stayed. I did not stay in the room that he stayed in. But um, and for, and, it, and it's not like I'm a huge Oscar Wilde. I mean, I've of course seen or read the biggies, but right. um, I just was intrigued by him and, and the, the story when he came to America on that speaking tour, and uh, that always kind of stuck with me. So I visited the hotel, and then years later, I'm not sure. Oh, I know there was a, a play contest in Santa Fe where I live uh, called Benchwarmers, and you had to use a bench. In, in any way you wanted to. I've had nice. five or six plays in the in the series over the years, and I've used it as a car, as a log, uh, a train. So you could use it any way you wanted. So I just used it as a couch in this room where Oscar Wilde once stayed in uh, Halifax. Nice, nice. Did you do any historical research to do this or just go on your 
public uh, knowledge of, of Oscar. Beyond knowing that he stayed there, I don't think I really did any research. And then, of course, I did look for lines from some of his works that I could work into the play. So there are some references to, to things that he actually said or wrote um, mm -hmm. interspersed in the play. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful little play. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I was looking at the fact. I love the fact that you named Cecily and Jack as well. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, we're we're keeping within the themes of this, but the possession aspect was something that uh, became extremely prevalent because all of a sudden we're talking about oh things like privacy and things like free will and hmm. if you you know i was playing a little game with myself after reading this i mean if i could be possessed by anybody who would i choose to possess me and why huh. and that's the thing and i find it hard to reject the possibility of oscar wilde because he seemed like except for the last few years of his life so much fun hmm. mm -hmm. you know a jolly person, so to speak, and and his his work has been, oh, I don't know, it's it's more, some of the more famous uh, drama works in in dramatic history. It's when we look for comedians and wits, his name always comes up. So, and I think, I mean, first the classic uh, importance of being earnest. I think it right. just still holds up so well. I mean, there's just so many things you can laugh about in that. Well, he based it on human nature, and human nature hasn't changed much in the last twelve thousand years. Right. We're, we're right. We have aspirations to, to to grandeur, but in reality, we're just so foolish and so petty sometimes. And that's why comedians become so popular. It's easy to poke hmm. fun at the foibles that most of us share. I'm not going to say all of us share because mm -hmm. I'm sure we're going to piss off somebody out there, but. Um, <laughs> And at all times in our life, we, we, we've been objects of, of comedy, I think. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Well, and I think anything that skewers pretense or, or, mm -hmm. or the privileged is always going to be a, an evergreen in comedy. Oh, absolutely. So has this been produced much? It was done in that Benchwarmers festival that I mentioned. Right. Um, and then the guy who directed that did another version of it in Santa Fe, very bare bones. And I think those are the only two times. So it's it's been a while and I haven't sent it out much. Um, but whenever they call for something related to Halloween or, or, or ghostly things, I was like, well, let me send it out and see what yeah. happens. So I'm sure. glad to see yeah. it struck a chord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all got those. <clears throat> um, You've been okay. And in the research that I did, uh, you mentioned that one of your favorite moments as a playwright was having your first play produced in 1988. Yes, at Emerson College in Boston. So you've been doing this for a while. You're you're a seasoned dramatist, and uh, <laughs> um, what made you write your first play? And I'm asking this because I. I'm always curious as to why people go to drama as opposed to something more lucrative, which you've also done, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah, why drama? Well, it's funny because, you know, when I've been involved in theater as an adult, I'm around people who were theater kids and they majored in theater and I had none of that background, but I always enjoyed reading plays. I right. remember being in 
junior high or freshman high school and taking out a book of George Bernard Shaw plays and just reading them and just really enjoying them. So I did take some play, plays, drama classes in, in college that were about reading the scripts and not, you know, acting. I do not want to act. I do not want to be on a stage. Um, <laughs> but when I got the idea for my first play, it was sprung from real life. And, um, and it just came out as a play. And I find whenever I try to write something that's not a play, um, it always wants to be a play because it always wants to be dialogue driven. I don't like doing description. So I'd never be a good novelist or short story writer. Um, and then once I did one, and then once that first one was staged in 88, I mean, I just got the bug. I mean, when you sit in the audience sure, and you yeah. hear people laugh when they're supposed to laugh or gasp when, you know, something catches them off guard, that's a very exhilarating experience. Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> how, to get, how, how to get produced? Was it a contest? Um, it was, was it, excuse yeah. me? Was it a contest? Did you did you write for somebody? No, it was here, the, uh, I was in an MFA program at Emerson. And uh -huh. um, one of the professors chose three plays from students in one of his classes to do. And it was part of the American College Theater. I mean, it was some national contest and every school, I guess, that had a drama program or playwriting program could put plays up. So he picked mine as one of the three plays that uh, that he directed and produced in this uh, festival. That's that's pretty cool. <clears throat> it's uh, it's. A one of a kind thing to see your work actually up on the stage and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, as it's going on. Writing yep. it is one thing because it's beautiful in your head, but <laughs> once you see well, it, it under and, somebody else's I'm control sorry. with other actors up there, it's like, wow. Well, and you appreciate, I mean, I wasn't that involved in the, in the, well, I was involved in the casting, actually. I was there for the casting, but you know, when you, when you're involved in rehearsals and you, and you, you see the collaborative nature of it and being able to make changes based on what you see is could be yeah. better what other people suggest i mean that that process is very very uh, rewarding i think oh i love that process i love watching it go through rehearsals and sitting there in the back keeping my mouth shut yep going, that's four lines too much that could be better we need a joke yep um, yep you learn so much about it from hearing it through other people yes yeah and it's well and, and to that point with nothing to declare i actually wrote it and then had a little i don't want to call it a salon because that's too pretentious but had other well, playwright friends over and some actors and we all read each other's scripts and that was the one i did and based on the feedback i got from people i rewrote it and i think that definitely made it a better play yeah it usually does yeah, it does. yeah. <laughs> it's also the fun of, of getting together with fellow you know Right. dramatic folks and and just doing all these wonderfully textual geeky things like reading plays right. and having fun yeah um, yeah although i learned that i've done this a couple times and i've learned uh when you have actors there if it's not just the playwrights any food you put out is going to be gone the oh, actors no just kidding. Like yeah clean off the table <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i've got a line in, in one of my plays someplace it's like oh i don't mind actors and the other person says yeah you ever watch a meet <laughs> Dramatic writing is not the only writing you do. One of the th one of the things you said in your bio was that uh, you're a professional writer. With um, just correct me because I may have re uh, misread this. Two hundred and fifty published books. Uh, I think it's over three hundred now. Okay, but, but um, you know we're talking children's books, so they're very skinny. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, 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 you know, it's, it's mostly um, contract work. So 
-hmm. it's like you just get an assignment and you crank it out and you get you know you do maybe i did maybe you know 10 or 12 a year for a long stretch um but it okay. was rewarding because i have a history degree there's not much you can do with a history degree but writing history for kids is is really a nice a nice opportunity and i've learned so much doing this i mean much more than i learned in four years of college oh absolutely um, yeah yeah so it's been a great experience that's amazing okay history books for kids now now we're totally into my thing here because i'm also a, a history professor or i was a history professor oh, oh okay. i totally geek out on this stuff um but getting an assignment for writing a history book for kids talk me through this i mean what kind of subjects have you tackled um, I, I think if I had to say I have an area of expertise, I mean, it's not that I, you know, obviously I don't have a PhD, but uh, mm -hmm. American Revo colonial history and American Revolution, and then up through the Constitution, I've done many, many books, World War Two. Unfortunately, wars are always popular, but so yeah, a lot of books are. on World War Two and the Cold War, lots of biographies. Um, mm -hmm. I actually was the editor for nine years of a monthly newsletter for a group called Biographers International Organization, um, which has some pretty potent biographers as members. So it was a really great experience to kind of get to pick their brains. Um, but it was also daunting because every week, every month, you know, your audiences are these Pulitzer Prize winning biographers and best, oh. New York Times bestselling authors. It's like, what are they going to find wrong in what I wrote this month? You know, it, was, it was a little, it was a little scary at times. Yeah, I can bet that's, that's quite intimidating. Um, yeah, but I guess you learn a lot. And I have a tip for well. Oh, I learned. Yeah, I've learned so much. And and, and I was gonna say, I have a tip for anybody who wants to uh, write biographies for kids. Mm -hmm. Choose somebody who's dead. It's much easier as your subject. <laughs> because if, if they're alive, you don't know what they're going to do after the book comes out. And it could be scandalous. And it's just like, you know, they're going to become toxic. So yeah. Yeah, pick, pick don't start people. with Oprah or Axl Rose. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, that's amazing. 250 books. It's just, well, this is over a period of, of several decades, I'm assuming. So, Almost yeah. 30 years. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Good for you. Thank um, you. One of your other uh, things in your bio here was you were doing a thing called Celebrating Survival, an evening of staged readings of short plays to benefit the Cancer Foundation for New Mexico. Had you written about cancer before? Has this been a topic that comes up or was this something that you walked into at the moment it was personal i had cancer when i was 28 i okay. survived so that's why celebrating survival um sure. it turned out that of the other playwrights i approached two or and actors two or three of them were also survivors um of course everybody knows somebody you know we've all been touched by oh cancer. my gosh yes yeah um yeah. so i had written one short play but it wasn't going anywhere and so uh i guess i figured the only way i'll ever get a stage is to produce it my no that's i i did it to raise money for this foundation i mm -hmm. was marking the 25th anniversary of my cancer and um this organization the, the cancer foundation for new mexico they're they're local i you know i could have done the american cancer society but i wanted to do something local and this organization um provides transportation and hotel rooms for family members of people with cancer so they can come to Santa Fe and be there while they're getting treatment. Um, Northern New Mexico is a land of very huge contrast economically. There's there's incredible wealth in Santa Fe and there's incredible right. poverty all around it. And so people who are coming from small villages in Northern New Mexico, they come to Santa Fe for treatment and the organization lets, lets their family members be there to help them. So I thought that was a really great cause. It, it, it sounds, was a very rewarding yeah. experience. 
Yeah, yeah I'm sure it must have been. That must have been an incredibly moving experience just to see it talked about openly and see other people, how they deal with it and realize that you're not alone. You, you're right. I mean, I'm, I know several people who have dealt with cancer and some of them have passed and the rest are survivors. You know, once you That's have it. it, it's yeah. Once you have it, you, you've had it and you, you live with you, the fact you, it's that, it. It's always there in the back of yeah, your head. <laughs> I know. Um, and for those who haven't had it yet, you know, some of us, myself included, um, I wonder about it and it's in the back of my head. So many people I know have had this yeah and i see the strength that these people demonstrate okay and the way they gear themselves up and the way they fight and look forward and mm. maintain positive aspects and i keep wondering you know would i be able to do that that's well i i mean i'm sure some people succumb to the, the opposite but I think having that positive fighting attitude is is huge. I mean, I was lucky, lucky in that my cancer was caught early and mm -hmm. was very treatable. I mean, I know that's not true with every cancer, right. but I went into it after the initial shock and depression. It's like I chose. It's like I'm going to fight. You know, I'm going to try to be optimistic. And I think that really helped. And uh, going back to the performance, I think the most gratifying thing was the people who came up to me who were either survivors or caregivers of people with cancer and just saying how much it reflected their experience and, and seeing those stories on stage was, was just so satisfying to them. So that was, that was probably the nicest thing about it. Yes. It's, it's nice to not be alone in that kind of a battle. Right. You know, just, just to know that other people out there are giving you hope and, and standing by you and sharing your experience because to go through something like this is, it's gotta be terrifying. Um, Congratulations and, and, and good for you. Thanks. I, I Thank you. Hope you remain cancer free. And yeah, um, you're also a photographer, which is uh, one, I'm a, one, one an of my pet, pet. <laughs> Well, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of my pet passions, as, as I mentioned earlier uh, to you. I'm mm -hmm. a photographer for most of my life, actually, since I was five years old. Uh, wow. Yeah, my dad stuck a camera in my hand and actually brought me into the Newsweek darkroom where he worked to help him make prints every week when they were overloaded. So that's wow. going to get the child labor law people going. Um, <laughs> but I was hooked ever since then. And I was looking through your photos up on your website. And one of the things I look for, which I'm, I'm receptive to, is shapes, juxtapositions, not necessarily catching action, but... Mm -hmm finding the patterns in the world around us and yes. the way that these geometrics, these pop art kind of thingies, right, um, just speak to us and being able to sit there and look at these things and just ponder the whole, the way it's juxtaposed, everything is juxtaposed with something else. Has that always been something that's caught your eye as far as photography goes i you know i came to photography pretty late um i didn't get my first slr until i was probably pushing 40 and um i don't i you know i didn't approach it with any kind of set idea of what i wanted to take but i just found over mm -hmm. time i was attracted to the patterns and um and somebody once said to me oh you don't take pictures of people and i'm like yeah i really don't and that's not deliberate 
Um, right. But, you know, of, of the pictures that I like the most and the ones that I post online um, or at my website, there, there are very few people in them. Um, probably because I think I'm a little, I don't want to intrude on people. You know, sure. I, it's one thing if you're doing a portrait, but just to kind of take those kind of random shots, I, I always feel, that's why I don't think I'd make a good real photographer because I don't have that that kind of ballsy, like I'm just going to go get the picture no matter what. It's like, no, I, I right. don't like to feel like I'm intruding. I, f- I so, feel icky uh, like I'm a voyeur sometimes, you know, just taking pictures exactly, of without exactly. the knowledge. And, yeah, it seems to be yes. an invasion of privacy. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. go for the, the pretty, of course, now that I'm in New Mexico, and all my friends and family are on the East Coast. I take lots of pictures of the scenery, so they'll see what it is about New Mexico that I love so much because most of them have never been there. And, and of course, the landscape there is just, and the light, they're oh, just yeah. they're just remarkable. Yeah, it's it's been a draw for photographers and visual artists um, for thousands and thousands of years, from cave paintings to Georgia O'Keeffe to to yep. Edward Weston to yep. yeah, um, it's nice work, very nice work. Mm. Thanks. Well, Michael Bergen, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you so much for your play, Nothing to Declare. We wish you the best. Thanks again, George. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe, be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>